God bless you. Also, I forgot a while ago, we want to remember the Walter Applegate family. Uh, Brother Walter and Joy, oh, how faithful. They have been in this church. Some of you who have come into the church the last few years may not know them, but believe you me, they have been such servants of God. Walter is in heaven now, and uh, we want to pray that the Lord will comfort uh, his sweet wife during, during this time. Also for the Miller family, I had committed to do uh, Gary Miller's dad's funeral in Oxford yesterday, and I was unable to be here for Walter's service, and that saddened me, but I so appreciate the way the staff stepped up. The funeral was here at the church, a luncheon was served afterwards, and the way that many of you stepped up to make that a good occasion. Uh, John Beals did an absolutely wonderful job, and uh, I'm so thankful for his ministry. Cammie sang, I imagine Sarah played. I don't know for sure, but just thank you, thank you. You're doing good. All right, one of my favorite preacher stories is about the preacher who just got tired of it all and he quit his church. That's not what I'm doing, by the way. Uh, he quit his church. Well, he, he wasn't old enough yet to have uh, Social Security, so uh, he went to the uh, employment office in his local town. He said, I need a job. And uh, they said, well, there's really nothing available here except uh, the local zoo lost their kangaroo. Their kangaroo died a while back. They've got a new one being shipped in. But until then, they're wanting someone to dress up in a kangaroo costume and just to be out there for the kids and jump around and pretend you're a kangaroo. Preacher said, I've never heard of such. No way. And the man said, it pays $45 an hour. The preacher said, where's the costume? Well, he was surprised. He got out there and he started jumping around and the kids were clapping and laughing. He thought, well, this is a good thing. This is fun. He just jumped and ju he jumped so high, he jumped over the fence into the lines area. And of course, that line started chasing him, roar, roar, and he totally forgot about pretending to be a kangaroo. He began to scream, help me, help me, help me. And the lion said, hush up, you're not the only preacher without a job. <laughs> well, I want you to pray for me. I'm not quitting, but I have announced my retirement. I call it uh, the re-adjirement because it's really a, a retirement, a step back, uh, but it's not a stopping of the ministry. You can't quit the ministry. Never, 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 but you just readjust to a new sphere of ministry. But do pray I won't end up in the lion's den for sure. I want to share with you today some biblical guidelines for finding a new pastor. These come from the Bible. That's what's important. But these also come from almost 50 years of experience being in the ministry, seeing churches that got God's right person and seeing churches that got the wrong person. The first one may seem strange and rather fleshly, but I guarantee you it's true. They should fit in. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when Paul got ready to send a minister to a church, he just didn't willy-nilly just say, well, Timothy, you go. Titus, you go. Epaphroditus, you go. He knew the church 
and he prayerfully selected the pastor with the gifts and the personality that would be effective in that church. This is an example. Philippians 2, 19 through 20. Paul said, but I trust in the Lord, and you do have these guides, and I'd like for you to keep them and use them prayerfully as you seek God's man for First Baptist Fishable. Paul said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, for I have no one like-minded. Interesting Greek phrase, it literally means like-souled, S-O-U-L. It could be translated a soulmate. You see, the pastor you call needs to be fisherable churches soulmate. They need to be at home here. They need to fit in. Notice what else he says, who will sincerely, this word means generally, or look, naturally care for your state, your circumstances, your situations. I'm from the Delta, Mississippi, and as in so many areas, if you're not from the Delta, Mississippi, it's really hard to understand or like the Delta, Mississippi. You just about have to be from there. Don't have to be, but it helps. And I remember when I pastored there, we'd go to the pastor's conferences and sometimes there would be some really godly men and they had come from a, <clears throat> from a totally different area and I'm not saying that can't work and doesn't work sometimes, but they had come from a totally different area. They had never lived in the Delta before and oh, they were miserable. They weren't doing well. The church wasn't doing well. Their family wasn't doing well. Not because they were not dedicated, not because they were ungodly. They just didn't fit in. In fact, I heard two or three say this now. They said, since I've come to the Delta to pastor, my view of the second coming has changed. I used to think we were going to be raptured before the tribulation, but I believe I'm in the tribulation right now in the Delta pastoring. So call someone that fits in, that fits in. Secondly, perhaps most importantly, you've got to be before you do. You've got to be right before you do right, right? They should meet the biblical qualifications of the pastor. And these qualifications are especially mentioned in 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 7, and Titus 1, 5 through 9. I'm just going to read through them briefly. Please don't think this means that the pastor is perfect. No one is perfect but the Lord Jesus Christ. Please don't think this means that that pastor could never slip in any of these areas. But these areas should characterize that man in general. Self-control, hospitable, able to teach, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not a recent convert, has a good reputation with outsiders, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, loves what is good, upright, holy, disciplined, above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, respectable, not given to drunkenness, manages his own family well, sees that his children obey him, does not pursue dishonest gain, holds to the truth, sincere and tested. 
The third point, and by the way, I borrowed this from the NIV Study Bible, the way they listed the qualifications. Thirdly, oh, this is important. Now, I don't know why you would want anybody like me, <laughs> but he should not be just like the former pastor. So many people, oh, well, he's just not brother Snodgrass. He's just not like our last pastor or the pastor before them. And this is true of any staff member. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12b, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It's not wise when you compare one of your children with the other children. That's just not wise because God creates all of us individually and in a very special way. And it's not wise when you do that with a staff member either. In fact, as my point says, you don't want somebody here just like your former pastor. Now, I'm going to tell you why from the Word of God. And you can go to these passages and get more edification than I have time to share with you this morning. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is scolding the Corinthian church because they're worshiping preachers. In chapter 1, he said, some of you say, I'm of Cephas. That was Simon Peter. That's my man. I like Simon Peter, the fiery prophet. And some said, uh, uh, I'm of Apollos. Apollos was the very scholarly teacher. I like Apollos. He's my man teaching. The, nobody can teach like Apollos. And some said, well, I like Paul. He's such an encouraging spirit. And he says, as you see here on your study guide, who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as God gave to each one. And each one, we're not all the same. We don't have the same gift mix. You don't need that. Paul was a church planner. I planted. Apollos was a great teacher. He watered. But who gets the glory? But God gave the increase. I have laid a foundation and another builds on it. Ephesians 4, the passage I preached from a few weeks ago. And he himself, Jesus, gave some, and he names the ministerial gifts, and the last one is to be pastors and teachers. Literally in the Greek, there's a hyphen. A pastor is a shepherd who must feed the flock. Now, why does he give the gift of pastor-teacher? Please notice this. For the equipping, that Greek word, it was a medical term that meant to set a broken bone. For the equipping of the saints, that's the church, for the work of the ministry, so they might do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. I asked Marcia, I said, Marcia, what do you think just maybe is the one overall thing God has used me for at Fisherville? And I had something on my mind, but I didn't tell her. And she said, unity. I said, that's exactly what I was thinking. Unity. I hope and I pray that the Lord sent me here with the gift mix that I have, the personality I have, and so on and so on and so on to bring about a wonderfully unified church. 
Now, somebody needs to come in, not just like me, that has a gift mix that can build on that. God's just like you never quit growing in your Christian life. The church is never to stop growing in its spiritual life. And God will want to send someone in here that's not just like your former pastor so that he can see other areas where the church has weakness and he can build that area and strengthen that area and the church can move on to even be better and stronger and greater to the glory of God. Do you understand that? Do you see that? You don't just have one doctor, do you, for your physical body? No. If you got a broken bone, you go to that kind of doctor. You know, if you got a neurological issue, you go to that kind of doctor. If you got sinus problem, you know, they're different specialists. They're all doctors, but they're different specialists. And God looks at Fisherville and he says, you know, all right, I, I've used my servant to do this. Now, here's what needs to be done. And he's going to bring someone in here that can build on the things that God has used me for and you for to even be a better and stronger body of Christ. Fourthly, expect confirmation from the church. That's why Baptists vote on things. 2 Corinthians 13.1b, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. I have found that to be so true. My first Bible teacher said, uh, when you hear a story about someone, don't put a whole lot of stock in it. If you hear the same story a second time, begin to be concerned and prayerful. If you hear it a third time, you need to go to that someone. Doesn't mean it'll always be true, but you don't. Nobody's not going to be criticized. Jesus said, woe unto you if all men speak well of you. Because that person would be a people pleaser more than a Jesus pleaser. But there needs to be a confirmation in the body of Christ over God's man. A good example is what we sometimes call the first deacon election. Remember that in Acts chapter 6. The Grecian widows and the Hebrew widows were uh, in a fuss. The church was being threatened to split and divide. And the uh, apostles who were, so to speak, the elders of that Jerusalem church, they said, let's appoint some godly men over this business. And the Bible said that it seemed good to the congregation as a whole. They had a confirmation from that. And it said, and they, and from the way I read it, they referred to the church. They chose, and I put Stephen down here, but there were six others. It pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. But notice this, whom they set before the apostles, and the apostles laid hands on them, and prayed for them. Several of you this week have asked me about the process. So let me go over it with you. It is a good process. First of all, and this is your last day now, to put down names and turn them in for the pastor search committee. The pastor search committee is nominated by the congregation. It goes to the deacons. The deacons don't 
decide, well, this person got 25 votes, but we don't like him, so let's put this person with five votes in there. They can't do that. But what they must do, and surely you see the wisdom in this, they will take the people with the most votes and they will seek to have a balanced search committee. You don't want the whole search committee to be men. You don't want the whole search committee to be women. You don't want the whole search committee to be senior saints. You don't want the whole search committee to be workers in the children's area. You want a balanced search committee. And so that will be their job. And then that will come back before you as a congregation to be voted on. Then, then the search committee prayerfully begins to seek God's man. And uh, when they feel like they have found God's man, they will be in agreement. We probably will have seven on the committee. I'm not 100% about that. Where's my brother Gary? And they will be uh, in unity about that person. And then that candidate will come before the ministerial staff. See how they brought them before the apostles. And the ministerial staff will talk with them, pray with them, visit with them. And then the ministerial staff must be in uh, agreement. This is God's man. Because I want to tell you, churches that skip that get into trouble. Because if you've got a ministerial staff like we've got here, the best I've ever had in 50 years, I told someone if I was 20 years younger, I'd be a fool to leave this church. But I'm not 20 years younger. And I'm telling you, if this staff says, no, they're not God's man, you better look elsewhere. Then they meet with the deacons. Now, the deacons aren't the deciding factor, but I have discovered over the years as the deacons who represent the congregation feel, 90% of the time that's the way the church feels. I've seen that. If half the deacons disagree with something, you better not bring it to the church. Half the church will disagree with it. I've seen that principle again and again and again. That's why, that's one reason the deaconship is so important. So they go before them. So then... The committees agree, the ministerial staff is agreed, the deacons are agreed, and then this person is brought before the church. You know the way that works. They set up a weekend and they come and they meet with different people and uh, different committees and groups, and uh, then they preach on that Sunday, and that Sunday afternoon there's a question and answer period, and, and then they will be voted on. Uh, after that. So, what are we wanting? We're wanting something that is biblical. Confirmation from the church. Now, does this mean they have to have a 100% vote? No, it'd be great if they do. But they certainly ought to have a solid majority vote, okay? Then, the fifth thing. Pray. You knew I wasn't going to leave this out. Pray, pray. Matthew 7, 7, ask, and literally the Greek says, keep on asking, and it shall or will be given. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. James 4, 2b, you have not because you ask not. Brother Jack, I know that. Listen, every prayer meeting at this church now, till you get God's man, 
Every prayer meeting ought to be in that prayer meeting somewhere at the front, in the middle, at the end, God, send us your man. In fact, when you say a blessing at home, God, thank you for the same old, same old roasted English peas on Sunday, and Lord, please send us your man. I want even the children to catch on and be praying for God's man. Pray, pray, and pray some more. Amen, Ms. Claring? Amen. And then lastly, keep your eyes on Jesus. Let me tell you about the best pastor I know of. You're going to need to turn in your Bibles to this one. A good way to close. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to tell you about the best pastor I've ever, ever, ever had. He's the only one who has never let me down. 1 Peter chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 25. This is referring to Jesus who died on the cross in the preceding verses. For you were like, that's us, sheep going astray. I tell you, sheep have to have a shepherd. My neighbor raises sheep as a hobby. And I love it when they put them in the front pasture and I can watch them. And I tell you that they would just wander anywhere and everywhere if they didn't have a shepherd and a guide, if they weren't fenced in. Well, that's the way we were when we were lost. We had no real meaning in life, no real purpose in life, no eternal reason to live. We were like sheep going astray, but have now returned at salvation to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know what the word shepherd means? Pastor. The word pastor, poiemenos, means shepherd. You know what overseer means? Bishop. There are three words used interchangeably in the New Testament for the same office. Pastor, bishop, and elder. Folks, it is so vital you get God's man but I'm telling you, if you got Billy Graham here, I think he's retired somewhat too. But no one can take the place of Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. When uh, I started writing songs, I wrote a song out of an experience I had. Someone had really let me down in the Christian life. And as a new Christian, boy, I just, wow. Christians aren't supposed to act like this. And the Lord's Spirit said, remember to keep your eyes on Jesus. I won't sing and I won't even share all the verses, but it starts off like this. Some put their eyes on a preacher. Some put their eyes on a church. Some put their eyes on a denomination and others on their good works. But keep your eyes on Jesus. He will never let you down. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll stand on solid ground. Let's stand together and pray. If you pray with me today, why don't we pray right now? Oh God, thank you for this group of your children gathered here this morning. And Father, we lift our prayers together as one prayer in one voice. And we pray that you will send. You know who they are right now. 
you will send your man, your family to First Baptist Fisherville. We pray that you will use them to grow this church in wonderful, wonderful ways. Not just numerically, not just financially, but spiritually, Lord. You see the areas in this body of Christ that are weak, and we pray you'll send someone that can strengthen those areas. And we thank you by faith. You're going to answer this prayer, Lord, for this beloved people here at Fisherville. And then today, are you saved? The Bible describes salvation in, from different slants and angles. Sometimes it's forgiveness of sin. Sometimes it's you have a home in heaven. But in this passage in 1 Peter, it's you have quit living your life wandering astray. But you have discovered the great shepherd of your soul. I mean, Jesus, he shepherds the very innermost part of his people. He knows us by name. We know him by name. Oh, what a wonderful shepherd he is. So perhaps today, some of you have taken your eyes off the great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and you need to put your eyes on him. Some of you may not know him as your shepherd. Oh, come home today. Come home today to the shepherd of your soul, Jesus Christ. He sacrificed his life as the good shepherd and paid for all of our sin that we might be forgiven. Would you come and trust him and give your heart to him today? If there are other decisions that need to be made public at this time, please just come. If there are decisions that need to be made right there in that pew, make those decisions. Let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's be doers as well. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.